Hello there, and welcome to Talk About Talk podcast episode number 151, The Power of Storytelling with Rob Tate. Yes, this is episode number 151. I've been doing this for a while now. I remember way back in the early days when I was learning this craft of podcasting, I used to listen to a podcast called The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. I listened to it every single week. I kind of considered Dave to be my podcasting coach. I guess the same way that I hope you consider me to be your executive communication coach. Anyway, one day I finally got the nerve up to email Dave and he ended up featuring me on a couple of his podcast episodes. Before he interviewed me, he asked me to suggest a specific Talk About Talk podcast episode that would give him some idea of what I do. I remember this viscerally. I suggested that he listen to podcast episode number 58, Mentally Preparing to Communicate with Confidence. And then in our conversation before the interview, before we press record, he said to me, I listened to that episode you suggested, Andrea. You definitely know what you're doing. That podcast was full of exceptional storytelling. I remember thinking, he didn't tell me I was a great podcaster. And he didn't tell me I was a great communication coach. He did say that I was a great storyteller. Since then, I've been acutely aware of the impact of storytelling. I've noticed in my own business that the workshops where I really knock it out of the park, those are the workshops where I was telling a lot of stories. I also know that the podcast episodes that get the most downloads, including that episode on communicating with confidence, are the episodes that are full of stories. Evidence regarding the positive impact of storytelling goes on and on. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is not what this episode is about. We're past the point of establishing how storytelling is important. I think you get that. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be listening to this episode. This episode is about helping you craft storytelling in your communication. You may be a marketer looking for stories to tell about your brand. You might be looking to tell stories about your own experience, creating your narrative around your personal brand, or you might be looking for a story to weave into an important presentation that you're preparing for. You might even be looking to generally improve the effectiveness of your communication through storytelling. The guest expert that I'm about to introduce you to is gonna help you with all this. Are you ready? Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk podcast episode number 151, The Power of Storytelling. In case we haven't met, let me introduce myself. My name is Dr. Andrea Wojnicki, and I'm your executive communication coach. Please just call me Andrea. I'm the founder of Talk About Talk, where I coach communication skills to ambitious executives like you to elevate your communication, your confidence and your clarity so you can establish credibility and then accomplish your career goals. If you go to the talkabouttalk.com website, you'll find many resources there to help you out. There's information there on one-on-one -on -one coaching, online courses, some amazing boot camps that I run every few months, corporate workshops, the archive of this bi-weekly podcast, and I really hope you'll go and sign up for the Talk About Talk newsletter. That newsletter is your chance to get free communication coaching from me every week. All right, let's do this. 
You're about to hear my interview with Rob Tate. Rob is the ideal person to seek expertise from in terms of storytelling, I think, anyway, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Rob's background. I met Rob when we were working together in advertising. I was a brand manager at Kraft Foods at the time, and he was the creative director at the advertising agency. He's the one who created the stories around the brands that I was managing. So that's the first reason. He knows how to tell brand stories. The second reason Rob's insight is so significant here is based on what Rob does now through his firm, Tate Strategy and Storytelling. He has lots of pragmatic advice that's well-tested that he's going to end up sharing with us. And third, as you'll hear me mention in this interview, when I was working with Rob, I noted several times that he was typically the smartest person in the room. Rob is wise, humble, and wise. Okay, so here's how this episode's going to go. First, I'm going to briefly introduce Rob, and then we're going to get right into the interview. And then at the end, I'm going to summarize with three... Yes, of course, always three of the main thoughts or themes that I want to reinforce for us. Before I introduce Rob, I just want to highlight two important things about this episode in particular. Okay, this is important. The first one is that based on the amazing insights from this interview, I decided to create a one page storytelling tip sheet that I hope you will download and use to boost your own storytelling skills. The information on this storytelling tip sheet are based on the insights that Rob shared, plus previous episodes that I've done on storytelling, plus my own experience and the coaching that I've done on storytelling. All right. So here's what you need to do. Go to talkabouttalk.com forward slash storytelling. Yes, I made it easy for you. And then you can download the one pager. I'm going to remind you about this again at the end. The second thing about this episode that stands out for me that I want you to note is the long list of valuable resources that Rob mentions. If you go to the show notes for this episode on the talkabouttalk.com website or on your podcast app, you'll see links to all of these resources, including the many ads that he mentions, the experts that he mentions like Nancy Duarte and his favorite podcasts. So please do that. You have two things to do then, right? First, go to talkabouttalk.com forward slash storytelling and get your free storytelling tip sheet And second, check out the show notes, in particular, the resources that I listed for you there. All right, let me introduce Rob. Because Rob is such an eloquent writer and former creative director, I thought I would be doing a disservice if I edited or paraphrased his bio. So I'm going to read it to you exactly how he sent it to me. Here goes. A seasoned marketing communications veteran, Rob is a strategist, writer, and swashbuckling storyteller who helps clients keep the complex simple and the simple compelling. As a passionate practitioner of content marketing and brand building and a former advertising creative director, Rob has worked with some of the most successful companies in the world, creating and executing marketing programs that span content, digital, CRM, that's customer relationship management, experiential, and of course, traditional advertising. Currently, Rob is working with the Facebook for Creators brand marketing team in New York. His past clients include McDonald's, Hilton, Apple, Roche Biotech, Microsoft, 
Mazda, and Kraft Foods. That's where we met when I was a brand manager at Kraft. Founder and principal at Tate Strategy and Storytelling, Rob has also held senior creative roles at BBDO, McCann, and Redwood CC. Rob's reputation is that of a highly strategic creative thinker, a deft writer, and an engaging presenter who delivers engaging, meaningful, and memorable stories that connect with audiences, build brands, and drive results. Here we go. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us here today to talk about the power of storytelling. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So, Rob, you and I met years and years ago uh, when we were working together on advertising. And so I thought that would be a great place for us to start. Can you share with us um, a few of your ideas about why storytelling is so effective in the context of brands? Sure. There's a couple of things that go on. Um, really just two. So the first thing is, it's like, we're actually hardwired to love stories. You know, if you're hearing a good story, you know, your pulse quickens, the eyes dilate. You know, there's old sayings like, I was on the edge of my seat or, you know, it made me cry like a baby. So we actually just sort of, they're, they're inherent in enough. So you think about oral tradition going back thousands of years, it's all through stories. The second thing is a little bit more practical from a brand standpoint. And that's that stories allow us to engage emotionally. And when you look at the way people make decisions, they generally make a decision. They act based on emotion. They then will use reason to post-rationalize what they acted on. So if you're engaging somebody emotionally with a story, you're more able to get them to actually take an action. So from a marketing standpoint, you want somebody to buy something, you really need to engage them emotionally. They've got to feel something. That's what brands are all about. Brands are about what do I, what value do I see in that product or service? What values do they hold? So that's sort of all the basis of why stories are so powerful in marketing and for brands. Okay, so to help make this a little bit real for the listeners, can you share with, with us some examples of brands that are doing a great job of storytelling? Um, you know, a lot of brands are not today. That's the funny yeah. thing. But um, historically, Apple. Apple have been great storytellers. And, you know, you can go back right. to, you know, 20 years to the I'm a PC, I'm a Mac campaign that relaunched yeah. iMac into the vernacular after the 1990s were disastrous for uh, Apple to even some of the local or some of the latest um, iPhone 15 ads, which are great. But right. currently, the one that sort of pops to mind is Volkswagen. Volkswagen's ah. got a couple of ads out there right now, which are great stories. And what's interesting, they've clearly been created with global audience in mind because they use no dialogue. So there's one with, you know, you see a guy getting all dolled up, sort of, like 1970s, he's got the, the, the you know, like the Bay City roller haircut. He's tanned himself. He's got these short shorts on. He's got an old tank top on. And he poses in front of his brand new Volkswagen. And his wife takes a picture of him. And then, you know, you see them packaging it up and driving. And they show up at his father's house. And he takes and gives, the, you know, as a present to his father, this picture. And we see a picture of the father in 1970s dressed like the sun is dressed now with the short shorts and the tank top and the Bay City roller haircut um, in front of his Volkswagen from the 70s. And, you know, it, like that's cool. a, it's, it's endearing. It's a great story. It talks about new products. It talks about yeah. quality, old products. It talks about people being in love with the brand because it stays in the family. So that's a really good recent example of stories. 
As you were describing the Apple ads and the different versions, they, they have been great storytellers over the year. One thing that occurred to me, and I, I'm interested to get your take on this, you said starting out with the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC story. And then I was oh, like, is that really a story? And actually, like, I have an opinion about that. It is, but it, it, it depends on how you define storytelling, right? Uh, one thing that I tell my clients when I'm coaching them, you know, is to tell stories whenever they can for the reasons that you said at the very beginning. Uh, and I said, but don't be, don't feel overwhelmed by that because stories don't need to be epic. It doesn't have to be like introduce right. the main character, right? So please elaborate. <laughs> Um, well, for one thing, Apple had been great storytellers, you know, long before. It was funny because Apple did not do well in the 1990s, but some of the best advertising in the 1990s uh, were Apple ads. And, of course, you know, the uh, historic Super Bowl ad, which, which launched Macintosh in 1984, you know, that's considered one of the greatest commercials of all time. But I, uh, Can I just interrupt? I would say that that is an epic story, right? Yes. But they sure. don't have to all be epic stories to be effective. No, really what makes the story is, is a structure, uh. right? So if you think of, and the, you know, um, and like when I talk about presentations, I talk a lot about structure of presentations, and how you work a story arc in, but essentially a story arc, you know, has exposition. So you're setting something up, you have rising action, you have a climax, you have falling action, and then you have denouement or, you know, resolution. And so if you think of the IOMAC on a PC, you know, you always start with an exposition. PC's got a problem, right? Stories are about problems and solutions. And then, and you know, they're sort of the antagonist. The hero is, is Mac. And, you know, so the problem escalates. I'm Mac has a solution or offers a, a, a key differentiating benefit to being on a Mac versus a PC. And then there's usually a nice little button to close it off at the end. So mm -hmm. it follows a nice story arc. So... The classic story is the hero's journey, right? Yeah. So I was just going to ask, is is that story follows the story arc that you, it's one version of the story arc, right? That you just described? Yeah. I mean, the thing about hero's journey is that if you get caught up on hero's journey, because you hear, or hear hero's quest, you hear about that a lot as, you know, story archetype. So right. if, you, if you start out thinking, oh, I want to create a tragedy or I want to create a comedy or, you know, you're going to get caught up. You want the story to emanate authentically from whatever pitch you're making, and especially mm. in brand and marketing, yeah. right? But you want to create characters, you know, and you do want to, if you can have a hero, you always want to have a protagonist. Stories have to have a protagonist. The product can be a protagonist, you know? Um, and the problem the product solves can be the antagonist, can be the villain. So let's switch a little bit to uh, storytelling as an executive. So I was going to say as a person, but actually in the context of being an executive, right? So you're either telling a story about your career, or you might be telling a story about the product that you're selling. So you work with a lot of um, a lot of creators at Meta, right? Right. Um, and and you do partnerships with creators. So how does this translate? I guess I mean we as humans are storytellers. We as executives are storytellers, and then brands. We as humans create stories around brands. Are there are there important distinctions that we should be keeping in mind between the different types of stories, depending on what the context is? No, I don't think so. I think yeah. that really you you look at you look at structure. So when you talk about like when I'm working with Meta, um, 
the, the part of Meta that I work with deals with um, creators, but specifically Facebook brand uh, for creators. So in that case, there's sort of two parts to that. Um, there's Facebook trying to support creators and providing them training on how to become better storytellers. Although okay. most creators are naturally very good storytellers. That's mm. often what they're, they're doing. If, you know, whether they're, you know, they've got a small, their yoga studio and they're using content um, and being a creator to build their business or build awareness, or they're a baker or they're a musician, they're generally naturally pretty good storytellers. What I usually get involved in is working with executives inside internally to make them better storytellers so that when they're communicating with creators or organizations outside of Meta, that they're using storytelling as part of the way they pitch whatever they're trying to pitch, whether they're trying Very to, cool. you know, yeah, trying to drive some kind of metric that's good for the, you know, good for Meta's business. Okay. So I, I buy that. There's, there's no, you know, major distinction. I'm sure there are minor, minor tweaks, but major distinction depending on the context or the source of, of the story. Um, you said naturally good storyteller. There are some naturally good storytellers cre and creators may tend to be that. Maybe they have great stories in their quest to become a creator, right? Subtly different from what makes for a great story. What makes for a great storyteller? Like who are the folks that are great? What are the skills that they have? That's actually tough because it's really, it's really tenuous. I don't, I'm not sure what makes a good storyteller, except for a couple of things. Generally, they're very authentic, okay. right? They uh, actually believe uh. the words they're saying. Um, they have passion for what they're talking about. They think more about their audience, which is uh. interesting because if you're, if you're actually talking about, you know, within the business context of creating, using storytelling as part of a presentation, when the, in the skills things that I teach, the first thing I say you need to do is audience uh, do audience analysis. Who are you talking to? Right. You know, what are their right. pain points? What do they think of you right now? What do you want them to think of you? All those sorts of things. I, it's really hard to say what gives a person that sort of natural ability to have a cadence when yeah. they're trying to tell you something, where they're yeah. going to set set up a, a proposition, you know, and then they're going to build you know, either through facts or benefits or whatever to saying, and here's the solution. And then sort of, and now this is how we're going to, you know, execute on that solution. And that's, yeah. so that's that rising story arc, that exposition, yeah. that rising action, falling action and, and resolution. Got it. That, that's, that's fair. Um, you said cadence. I might, I might uh, dig into that a little bit. So you said three of the criteria that make, that are, uh, I guess, common among storytellers, three things, love it, the power of three, authenticity, passion, and focus on the audience. And I was like, those are all great things for storytellers, but those are all actually great things for anyone who's communicating anytime. And in particular, when you're giving a formal presentation, right? If you are authentic, passionate, and you know your audience, almost, almost every time you're going to nail it. Um, so. So then let's shift then to what makes for a great story beyond the arc, right? So what are the criteria that make some stories better than others? So I, I can imagine that one of the questions you probably get when you're doing your training is, I was going to tell this story or I might tell this other story. Which one should I tell, Rob? And how do you decide which stories are worth telling? Okay. Two quick things. Just going back to what you said about, you know, great communication, great communicators. I would yeah. contend that you cannot be a great communicator without also being a great storyteller. Ah, oh, um, love it. <laughs> now, Rob, you're going to be quoted on that. You're going to be quoted <laughs> on that. 
Now to talk about, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> I got so excited. The, <laughs> well, this is the ADHD in me, right? You said something and I just can't let it go without making the point I wanted yeah. to make. So could you repeat the, the question? Yeah. The question is if, if we are all of these things and someone comes to you with two different stories, how do you identify what stories are more quote unquote worth, worth telling? Perfect. Okay. That's easy. Because again, I'm going to do this in the context because I think with business people, where storytelling becomes the most important is in the presentation, right? Okay. And I, and and you doesn't mean that you're mean. Doesn't mean that you have to be standing up in a group of people with a slide deck behind you. It could mean that you're in a lunch and you're pitching somebody an idea. You're still presenting. Right. So I would say that with every presentation, you have an objective. So if you're vetting, saying, you know, what story should I tell? You know, story A or story B. You vet that against your objective. What is going to be more persuasive to getting somebody taking the action that you want them to take? So relevance and yeah. I guess relevance. I was going to say persuasion, but the persuasion is the outcome. It's you need it to be absolutely relevant to your objective. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And again, if I'm going through, I have this nine steps that you know I teach for people to follow when they're creating a presentation. The first one I mentioned was audience analysis. The second yeah. one is set your theme or set your objective. You know, I'm, who am I talking to? What do I want them to do? That's number, that's step two. Notice we right. haven't opened up PowerPoint. Number one yeah. mistake people make when they say, hey, I want you to give a presentation is they go and they open up PowerPoint. That's step five. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I usually flip your one and two, but I, I'm in agreement with you, right? You need to have what's your main point or what's your objective and then really understand who you're talking to and then we get into fleshing out and then eventually it's it's the PowerPoint slides. Yeah. Do yeah. You know how many people say I think in PowerPoint? Have you ever heard have you ever had um folks at Meta say that to you? Well, I think PowerPoint. Step three is collecting information. And the way they collect information is they, you know, you say think in PowerPoint, they go back and they start collecting all the past slides that have data points that they want to make or um you know, the features and benefits they want to highlight, whatever that is. But they still have yet not yet figured out what story they want to tell. They've got the information collected, but then they need to go to step four, which is, okay, what story am I going to tell? I've got to set the narrative. Right. You know, I never thought about this when I was working with you, Rob. I, I shared in the introduction how I always felt like you were the smartest guy in the room. I always thought you were this. I want, I want to say that publicly. I thought you were compared to the vice president and the director that I was working with in, at my firm and the other folks, the, the client service folks at the advertising agency. I always thought you were the smartest person in the room. So it was your ability, I think, and now that I'm talking to you, to create a story around a brand, given a bunch of data and objectives that we were giving you, right? Um. I mean, you can agree. Yes, maybe that's... Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so I guess we, we've highlighted kind of what makes for a great storyteller and what makes for a great story, how to choose a story. What are the most common mistakes that you see folks making when they are trying to incorporate storytelling into their communication? Um, often, well, not often, but the story gets in the way of what they're really trying to say because uh, they haven't gone the they haven't gone through the due diligence of saying here's my objective and then 
everything after that should be going, does this further my objective? Does the story further my objective? Or is the story not relevant? So, you know, you think about like a lot of the stuff that we do at Meta, it's all product-based. And so a lot of product people, they, they're engineers, they've been involved in creating these incredible features. This product can do this, can do that, it can do this. And they're very excited about it. I mean, it's they've worked so hard on it, they're passionate about it, and their audience doesn't care one lick about their features. Their audience, care, audience cares about what's in it for me, what does it do, what's the benefit? So I would say in that case, I mean, that's a sort of an example of where they think they're telling a story, but they're really just giving a list of features. If you start thinking in, okay, what does the feature do to a person? How does it help? Right now you start to naturally bring in storytelling because a benefit solves a problem. Okay. The minute I set up a problem and then I create an arc to solve that problem, I'm, you know, thinly, but you're in the realm of storytelling. Right. Yeah. So as you were describing that, a couple of things came to mind. One is when I was working in brand management, we talked a lot about the brand benefit letter ladder, right? So you start with features, benefits, and then you get up to emotions, right? And it's it's like these human needs. And the higher up that ladder that you can get in a way that's real though, right? So you're it's not that you're being airy-fairy. It's like you have this fundamental need and this product or this service or this brand is going to help you accomplish whatever your goals are associated with that need. Um, so that's part of what storytelling does, right? Because it 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 makes us think about those needs. And as you said, it also makes us feel these emotions. And the second thing that I was thinking as you were talking is in terms of testimonials. So as a coach, I know how important t- testimonials are. And we knew even with the brands that we were working on together, you know, food brands, that word of mouth is important, right? Mm-hmm. And those are sort of inform or formal one-on-one t- testimonials, if you want to think about it that way. I feel like their stories may serve almost as a testimonials. And it's very indirect, right? But when you tell a story about someone who has, for example, done what you're you're encouraging your audience to do, and this is where they went, they st- this is here's where they started. And here's what they evolved to through this product. You're providing them with, with, even though it's coming from the source that's trying to sell them, right? You're providing them with a story of something that might happen to them. And it is like a test, it is like a testimonial. Again, as you said at the very beginning, it needs to be absolutely authentic. Like you can't, if you're making it up, they'll smell it a mile away. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's why testimonials do work. You know, they're, you know, from an advertising ad agencies sometimes hate them, right? Because they're sort of, they, they're taking the creative um, juice out of the agency and they're, you know, putting it in the place of some person who's used a product and service and wants to speak well of it. Um, but people don't give testimonials by listing features and benefits. Give People tell testimonials saying, I had this problem and this right. thing came along and it helped my problem. And, you know, and they're usually, you know, they're, they're enthusiastic about it. And, um, and if they're genuine, you know, it's, it's second best to word of mouth, right? You know, in anything you do, anything you do, having somebody behind the scenes going, oh, you know, you hire them, you can't go wrong, right? Yeah. That's the best thing that can happen. I mean, it's cool. if I, if, if I may, I was doing, this is a number of years ago, but I was doing a gig with an unnamed agency. They had brought me in to create a content strategy for a big marketer 
who was, yeah. you know, doing as many marketers did, you know, starting 10 or 15 years ago, they started to move away from advertising to creating content, right? And sort of instead of interrupting people's content, they'd chosen to create, they were creating content that people were actually choosing to consume. And so I was at this agency, I'd been hired on the recommendation of somebody, but the team I was working with didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And they were, they were a little dubious, let's say. And so I had done two or three weeks with them. I was trying to build up their, you know, confidence and my abilities. And then we had our first big meeting with the marketer, with the client, right? And I had worked for the client previously with another, at another agency. Um, and so we arrived at this meeting and I didn't really let the agency I was working with know that I knew some of the people at the client and wasn't sure if this one very, very senior person was going to be in the meeting, but I had known that person for a very long time and we had mutually high uh, opinions of one another. He was a very, very smart guy. But anyway, we were walking into the meeting and he comes in at the tail end of his team and goes, holy crap, I didn't know we had paid on this. Awesome. Awesome. Good to see you again, Rob. And it was like, problem solved. Yeah. And then on, <laughs> you know, and then on when I had an opinion with my team at the agency, they listened because the clients sort of thought, oh, he actually knows what he's talking about. So testimony. And it was genuine. If you had if you had spoken to him before and said, are you going to be there? It would really help me. Then when he showed up, he would have been like, oh, Rob, right. But he was genuinely surprised. I yeah. love that story. I love and, and the meeting was minor enough that I think the agency was surprised if it's going to be in it. Ah. Right. He was he was senior enough. He usually waited till we were further along in the process before he started giving his opinion. Anyway. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Do you have any other uh, anecdotes, like some small stories or epic stories that you want to share? Um, possibly about successes or failures of of some of your your clients or the folks that you're working with with storytelling? Too many. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I used to uh, I used to be an instructor at a, at a, a you know um, continuing education for the Canadian Marketing Association, and it was in in live classes, in person classes, and so I could tell my stories because nobody was taping me, and I could sort of say you know I could bear you know bear the truth of what happens sometimes behind the scenes and the minute they went and put that class on tape the effectiveness of my teaching you know was diminished completely because i could no longer tell those stories that you know when told in vegas stay in vegas and it's kind of the same situation here ah but it's funny because we're talking about storytelling and and making points you know like that pitch so if I if I may, there's one example that I I often use in the, when I'm when I'm teaching this, talking about you know using storytelling to make a point, and it comes from an old TED talk, and most people have seen this TED talk. It's Ken Robinson back yeah. in 2006, 2008, talking about how it's the yeah, number one TED talk of all time. Yeah, yeah. So so people will will know this, but there's it's interesting because he's giving a presentation and he has no slides. Yet it is a classic presentation in that he builds a story arc. He uses a little bit of Nancy Duarte talks about, you know, yeah. we talk about classic story arc. She uses the same thing where she says, you set up what is the status quo. And then you present what could be, right? And you want that gap between what is and what can be 
fairly large. And that's the loftiness, what she calls loftiness of your idea. And mm. that's the way she uses story arcs in presentation telling. And he uses that to perfectly. But he's trying to make this point about creativity. And he tells a story about a, you know, a little girl who, you know, didn't do very well in school. And they're in a drawing class. And the teacher notices that she's working a lot harder than usual at her drawing. So the teacher wanders over and she says, what are you drawing? And the, the little girl says, a picture of God. And the teacher goes, well, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl says, they will in a minute. No. And the point he's making is that right. while the kids are, kids are naturally creative, they'll take a chance. And while being wrong is not the same thing as being creative, if you're not willing to be wrong, you'll never create anything original. Yeah. And then he draws out and he says, the problem with our schools is we punish being wrong. Right. And he draws it out that a lot of large corporations, we punish being wrong. Therefore, right. we make the act of being original or creative very yeah. difficult. Yeah. And yeah. what's always interesting is he could have made that same point using charts and showing the neurological change of children as they grow older and how we sort of lose our creativity mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. We told the story about a little girl. Yeah. And it's a perfect example of he used a story as a visual aid, but the visual aid had no visuals. Yeah. It was just the picture he painted in everybody's mind of this little girl. My brain you, is, my brain's exploding, you, Rob. I, I keep yeah. thinking no one has ever asked me for data to prove that the coaching I do of folks, whether it's workshops or, I mean, they've, they've asked like, you know, what are your ratings on the workshop? But they haven't asked what is the lasting impact of it, or, uh, of workshops or of one-on-one -on -one coaching. No one has ever asked me for that. But when I tell them stories about the transformation that has happened with some with some of my clients, one that really comes to mind is um, I was coaching a really smart CEO on his personal brand to help him really think about his professional identity. He was he was moving jobs, and he told me after two or three sessions together, where we had really started to nail what his superpowers were, right? And he was starting to feel really confident and focused. He told me that he went to a job interview. And it was maybe the second or third interview that he'd had with them. And they said, do you have any questions? And he said, I have a really important question, actually. Are you looking for a new CEO who is going to charter open waters and, you know, take this company to new heights? Or are you looking for the CEO that's going to prevent us from hitting icebergs and other ships and other debris in the sea and, and like keeping things safe, keeping things, you know, status quo? And they said, great question, very cool metaphor. The answer is in the short term, it's status quo. And in the long term, it's, it's um, charting open waters. And he stood up. He very politely thanked them for their time. And he said, I've been getting this feeling over the last couple of interviews. And I just want you to know, I am a trailblazer. I need to be charting open waters or I will die slowly inside. And I don't want to waste your time. I really, really have enjoyed meeting with you. And this guy, you don't know him, obviously, but he's, he's a really nice guy. He would, he would never do this in a disrespectful way. But he said, Andrea, the work on my personal brand made me confident enough to physically walk out of a job interview. And I was like, whoa. And I've told that story a few times and people are like, wow, that's amazing. It's like that story is more telling than any data could ever be about the power of personal branding, right? So. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, if I think back in my old ad terms, he wanted to check on the brief. 
Yeah. And when the brief wasn't what he, I mean, I actually did that a couple of times back in the ad world where you'd be in presenting creative. And the first thing in the meeting is you go back through the creative brief. Yeah. This is what the agency has been asked to do. This is the strategy. These are the most important thing you want to say. Here's the support for the most important thing to believe, the reasons to believe. And having, you know, presented for the first time to a very senior person and you go through the brief and they go, oh, I'm not sure about the brief, but let's see what you got. And having to stand up and go, if you're not sure of the brief, then what I have makes no book because it's all built on that brief. So if you don't yeah. agree with the brief, go away and ooh, the trouble I, I got bet into. You, I, I bet you have specific stories where that actually happened. Oh no, it 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 it, it did. Yeah. It, wow. It happened on happened on a couple of a couple more than one occasion. So and it was one of those things where, you know, the account people were very angry with me and but I was working for good creative directors who supported the decision. So always nice that that happens. You but that's essentially what he did. I mean, he sort of went, what do you, you know, it's very smart. Yeah. 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 He is a very smart guy. He's now. Yeah. Very, very happily employed in his, in his uh, new position, which is completely aligned with his superpowers. So you mentioned Nancy Duarte. I just wanted to to touch base on that. So I've read a couple of her books and she is famous for working with Al Gore, right? In the early days. You know, I actually discovered her through a TED talk. And what I find interesting is where she came up with the what is to what could be was all just by looking at, I mean, it was funny. She, she, you know, dissected Steve Jobs, I think it's 2007 iPhone introduction uh, keynote at yeah. Macworld which yeah. is considered one of the best product pitches ever. Right. You know, if you haven't seen it, go watch it on, on I, uh, I'm sure it's on YouTube. But she 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 dissected that. And then she dissected things like Martin Luther King's I Have a right. Dream speech. And she found that they both followed this still get back to the word cadence, this what is, what could be. Um, right. And what idea was going to bridge that what is the status quo to what could be, you know, the threshold or the new bliss. And she said, that's the language she uses. Rob, is there anything else you want to add about storytelling? You know, the only thing I'll do, just because we've talked about presentations, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll just add one other thing. So when you're thinking of a presentation and a story arc, this is why I counsel people to think of what you want to say, break it into three chunks. You know, act one, the beginning, act two, the middle, act three, the end. And then each of those chunks has the, you know, what is, what could be. What is, what could be, what is, what could be. And then you mentioned it earlier, the power of three. Yeah. Then structure your presentation. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. And then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And you do that three times. So if you think of the flow of a presentation, you know, you have, you know, your opening remarks. Thank you for being here. The washrooms are over there. Hold your questions to the end. Yada, yada, yada. Then you have a creative opening, which is often like an anecdote or something that catches the um, the audience's attention. Then you set your stuff, set, set your sub subject, which is we're here to do this. And I'm going to talk about agenda one, agenda two, agenda three. Now I'm going to do body one, everything I want to say under agenda one, everything I want to say under agenda two, everything I want to say under agenda three. And then I'm going to sum up one, I'm going to sum up two, I'm going to sum up three. And now here's my conclusion, which is should be okay. I'm willing to follow the action or you know, whatever you're, you're doing. And so that's sort of a really practical way on how a storytelling arc works into a presentation, just to sort of close the loop on all the talk about presentations. 
That is absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to end up, I think, creating a list. It's a, chron it's a chronological list, right, of how the presentation should go. And when you're pulling it together, you look at that list. You first think about your audience, as you said, right? And then yep. you think about what your main point or your objective is. And then you can start filling in the points here. Um, for those of, of the listeners that are actually watching on YouTube, they and you probably saw I have a massive smile on my face because you're talking mm -hmm. about the power of three. I also talk about say what you're going to say and then say it and then tell them what you said. Beautiful. I love it. In fact, that's what I do with every podcast episode. Um, a really smart uh, podcaster, Dave Jackson, told me once that people don't get on a bus unless they know where it's headed. So that's why at the very beginning, isn't that beautiful? Love that. Love, nice. love that. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. And, and so he's, that's, people aren't going to listen to a 45-minute podcast episode unless they know what they're going to learn or even what you're just going to talk about, right? So um, I love that. I will create a chronology and, and uh, share that as well. So now let's move on to the three, power of three, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Question number one, introvert or extrovert? I could say, what do you think? But believe it or not, when I do all the, I'm an introvert. I, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people often don't, but I am an introvert. Yeah. I think people misattribute. So you're not socially awkward. You're not socially anxious. That's actually different from an introvert. It's right. It's yeah. about your energy. And okay. I, I would have guessed that a lot of yeah. the smartest folks that I know are introverts. I'm just going to say that as an extreme extrovert, I have noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Question number two, what are your communication pet peeves? The things that bug you? You know, um, actually this is going to be kind of like, given the fact that my biggest client right now is, you know, a technology company, but I kind of miss the old fashioned phone call, like a string of uh, texts, rapid fire texts. Sometimes, sometimes it's fine, but sometimes just my thumbs can't keep up. So that kind of, it's like, if you're doing a rapid fire, you know, 20 texts in a row to get a point across, it really would have been a lot quicker if you just picked up the phone or jumped on a Google meets and said, okay, let's talk about this. Anyway. So is it, a, is it about the time that it takes or is it about the effectiveness somehow of the communication or is it both? I think it's a little bit both. It's just like, you don't know where somebody's going and you know, it's like the stream of consciousness, which we do when we talk, but somehow we tend to organize our thoughts. I think more when we're, you know, in person with somebody. Oh. Okay. Last question. Is there a podcast? I'm going to say a podcast or a book that you find yourself recommending lately. I think you had mentioned to me previously Adam Grant. So I love, I like Adam Grant. Um, and I also like whether I listen to it on the radio or on the podcast, Terry O'Reilly under the influence, which is all about advertising. And so I know for one thing, I know Terry, he used to be a radio producer and I've worked with yeah. him. Nicest yeah. guy in the world. Talk about being the smartest guy in the room. He was always an incredible director of talent. Uh, but he just, it's just, Reminds me of the good old days, but also really informative and interesting. And he's a massive, uh, a master storyteller. He so is. He, yeah. And you know, um, you know what, Rob, I should, you're just making me think I should interview him for a podcast episode, not about storytelling necessarily, but just generally about communication. That would be a great, oh, yeah. wouldn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. He would be, he would be great at that. And then the other one, it's, it's one of my, you know, um, you know, guilty pleasures is, you know, uh, my wife and I, we watch Jeopardy every single night. And when we can't watch it, we tape it. So, or we PVR it. Um, so inside Jeopardy. Oh, okay. All the behind the scenes stories of, you know, what's going on in Jeopardy land. Ah, so. that's really interesting. You know, I, I feel like even though Jeopardy is about memorizing trivia for, for lack of a better word, right? People that do really well on Jeopardy are very high IQ typically, right? And here you are saying that it's your favorite show. So I'm not surprised. Thank you so much, Rob, for sharing your insights. We've got lots of gold here. Uh, thank you for sharing your insights about the power of storytelling. Thank you. I'm really happy to have been here with you. Thanks again to Rob for joining us and sharing his insights. Like I said at the very beginning, we're all past the point of establishing how storytelling is important. I think we get that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have listened to this episode, right? That said, I love how Rob pointed out that stories are so much more engaging and persuasive than data. Ask Rob, the advertising executive. Ask me, the executive communication coach. Ask anyone. Just use stories. Before I summarize, I want to remind you about the storytelling tip sheet that I created for you. It includes this summary and lots more. Just go to talkabouttalk.com forward slash storytelling and download your free copy. All right. The top three things that I want you to remember from this episode. One is what distinguishes great storytellers from not so great storytellers. Two is the most important element of a great story. And three is Rob's nine-step process for creating exceptional presentations. Okay, number one, what distinguishes great storytellers from not so great storytellers? Do you remember? I know, I hate quizzes too. Okay, Rob highlighted that the best storytellers are authentic and they engage and know their audience. That's a nice list. Authenticity, engaging, and focused on the audience. So the next time you're communicating a story, make sure it meets those criteria. Number two, the most important element of a story. Do you remember what Rob said? It's the arc of the story, the trajectory, the journey. Even if it's not an epic story, there's tension and a climax. So ask yourself when you're telling a story, whether there's structure, a compelling arc, Okay, and number three is Rob's nine-step process for creating exceptional presentations. He men mentioned this in the interview and then later he emailed it to me and I'm going to read it to you quickly now. There are nine steps. Number one, audience analysis. Number two, set your objective. Number three, collect information including data, evidence, and content. Number four, develop your narrative, your three acts or your agendas that he talked about. This is where you can add a relevant story. Number five, create your slides. Six, read or click through to get a sense of timing. Seven, rehearse, rehearse and rehearse. And make sure your technology is working. Number eight, deliver your presentation. And number nine, do a review. Many folks, like Rob said, start with their slides. Did you notice that slides were step five of this nine-step process? All right, this story is over. One last reminder about the tip sheet. 
This is a document packed with suggestions that you can print or save to help you elevate your storytelling. I hope you'll go to talkabouttalk.com and get your free download. Thanks again to Rob. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, I hope you'll share it with your friends and maybe leave me with a review on whatever podcast app you're using. It really makes a difference and I appreciate it. If you want to connect, I would love to hear from you. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and leave me a message there. And you can always go to the talkabouttalk.com website and send me a message there. Thanks again for listening and talk soon. Talk soon.